Welcome to the Poltercast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Hamish Steele. And I am Tiffany Baxter. And on and this... We're very calm today. <laughs> we're very calm. It's still very hot yeah. because we're recording this episode mm. 15 minutes after the <laughs> last one. Maybe less. Less. But we've had a street bottle break. Yep. I had break. a... I had a... What do we call them? Strawberry lace. Yeah. Red laces. Just red flavour. Um, mm, it was delicious and red. Um, and we are the show where we <laughs> chat about ghosts. Yeah, and we share ghost stories that we have copied and pasted off of Wikipedia and other gorgeous websites. Yeah. And I hand typed mine. I hand typed my first one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is a bit more um, a free for all, oh. a pick and mix. Lots of You're different. Quite good at your little pick and mixes. <laughs> there are lo- lots of different fonts going on, and and. and <laughs> You've got a bit of Vedana. A little bit of what? Vedana. Vedana. Um, Ariel. Well, it was so spooky that I did I did turn it to Comic Sans Ooh. to chill to calm myself. What's that old like spooky one that they used to have? Like is it called like Chiller or something? Ooh. Like, drippy, I typed mine out in ex- I typed mine all out in Bleeding Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really read any of wingdings. it. Wingdings. Oof. I mean, there's actually some Wingdings <laughs> creepy pasta, isn't there? There? No, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a 911 one. Oh. I don't really go for 911 things. No, I don't. But it just see- doesn't. I think no. <laughs> I mean, why? You don't need to make that scary. No. <laughs> um, no. If you type in the name of the flight number and oh. turn it to Wingdings, it's a picture of like what, a, a skull, two buildings, and a plane, and you're like, Ooh. oh my god. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what does it mean? What we already know. Um, yeah. Uh, so, have you been watching anything spooky? I have. Well, like, <laughs> spooky. It's not like. I've been watching Picnic at Hanging Rock. I don't know oh. if you've seen about that. No. Like, because it's based on a book in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a film of it by Peter Weir in the 70s. Okay. Um, and like, weirdly enough, I've not read the book, but we watched the film when I was at school, and I only realised when watching the series what a strange choice it was to show kids <laughs> that age that film. Yeah. Because it's basically about um, like these, it's like turn of the century, um, all girls school in like the Australian middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um. And they go to this place called Hanging Rock for a picnic, as the name would suggest, and mm. some of them disappear. And it's all quite like ambiguous as to, as to whether it's supernatural or not. And like the film is very, from what I remember, quite psychedelic and like it's just very strange and quite creepy, but not in an over way. Yeah. Um. So it's not a horror film. I looked up the rating, and it wasn't any sort of crazy rating. But it's not the kind of thing you show to. I must have been like thirteen. Mm. 
and I went to an all girls school and I just sort of was watching the adaptation which I mean they've drawn out I'm guessing they, they're including more of what's in the book but I'm just thinking like why would you show this to like young girls and I could only think that being the teacher who showed us kind of wished that we would disappear because <laughs> I, I do remember her not liking quite a large portion of our class I um but yeah it's not finished yet obviously it's got Natalie Dormer in it as yeah. well the like headmistress and Yale Stone from Orange is the New Black is in it yeah, Ooh, it's quite now, weird. I, now I know why you're watching because <laughs> I didn't know she was in it until like I started it and I was like oh but um <laughs> her character is very different mm. um she's like super religious like school mom um and she's just she's very odd and she's got a bit of a weird kind of relationship with her brother um but yeah it's all very like the way this one's done like it's very colourful in like the costuming and stuff and they've kind of gone with a modern editing and stuff and um, I'm watching with my mum and I don't think she's very sure on it just because she's not always sure on like strange things but um, watch with mother yeah I mean it's probably not really the thing you should be watching with your mum <laughs> um, there's some sapphic undertones <laughs> which I wasn't expecting um, but we're always looking for yeah but um, so yeah I would recommend if you're into like period dramas that are a bit different but like the book apparently when it came out it was the way it's presented as if it's as, as, blah, 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 as if it's a true story so a lot of people believe that this really happened to these girls and they mysteriously disappeared up on this rock but um, it's not it's all fictional we watched some strange things in school um we were a bit older so we're about 16 but we um i was studying media studies and the term was about british cinema Mm -hmm. and our teacher said great news because it's the end of the day i'm gonna put on a film for you um it is the most recent british film i could get it came out this week. Oh. Straight to DVD. Yeah. And uh, it's called Mum and Dad. That doesn't sound promising. And <laughs> Somehow I'm He not... put it on and he went to... He had this, like, separate little, like, middle classroom between... There was, like, a little room... It's not... I don't know why I'm explaining this. <laughs> there was a small room between two classrooms that he went into mark papers where oh, he put the... an office. Yes. But... <laughs> That's what they're called, but it was like it was like a, it was like when Could he see out of it and through the classroom. Yeah, it was like when two like a panopticon when two hotel rooms share a bathroom. Oh yeah, yeah. but it was an office. Anyway, he went in there and he put on the film, and it was legit torture porn. Oh, did <laughs> and he not watch it himself? No, he just put it on, and the the DVD was an eighteen, but. We'd all, we'd been studying how certificates were weird, and he didn't really believe in them. And like, we'd watched some like fifteens that shouldn't yeah. have been, and blah blah blah. So he just put it on, and um, it was <laughs> horrific, but it was also just really bad. <laughs> and um, it was like a British version trying to do like hostel or whatever. Oh, right. um, and I just remember this like very timid <laughs> young girl, it's the same age as us, but this girl uh, in our class stood up, walked to the office and said 
Sir, I don't think this film's appropriate. Dad just had sex with a heart. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, that happened. Um, And he went, ooh, 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 and turned it off. And um, we watched like five minutes of like Notting Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know why the ratings thing reminded me of this. But do you remember when they introduced 12A and it was because of Spider-Man? I remember it so vividly. It's almost like you actually haven't, but it's almost like you pre-planned this conversation. <laughs> I have a story about that. Do you okay. have a story? Okay. Well, my my story is that meant I could go and see Spider-Man. So. Well, I think it. Okay, so it was briefly released not 12A. Yeah. And the reason it changed for American listeners, 12, you literally couldn't go if you weren't 12. Yeah. Which is a funny concept. Yeah. Um, 12A mean that you could go if you were accompanied by yeah. someone over 12. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like a 13 year old sibling. Yeah, or just a 12 year old, yeah. like if you're a week apart. Yeah. Anyway, um, when it came out, we would have been about 11 or 10. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to see Spider Man. And the reason I remember that I couldn't see it initially it is because I did go and see it, and my mum gave me a 12 year old makeover <laughs> and she basically like put gel in my hair and she made me wear really weird baggy clothes that I never would have worn and then like she actually like told me how to like slouch and like <laughs> look like not interested because I was too like peppy and full of life straight eye for the queer guy <laughs> basically 12 year old eye for the 11 year old guy <laughs> <laughs> and she thought it was this like massive huge difference it's like just be confident Hamish I know you can't be in any other way of life but please for god's sake just be confident believe in yourself as Spider-Man yeah. I almost think I think she might have given me like spots it was like <laughs> it was so extreme and like the whole time I was in the cinema I was like freaking out freaking so I, I remember seeing Spider-Man very vividly because every single moment of the film is like twinged with like extreme anxiety. And then I remember that the day after school we did like a cross-country run and I just like described the entire film scene for scene. You're the cool kid you could yeah. the one who could see Spider-Man. To, a, to the person next to me. And then the next week they announced 12A and like they all went to see it and they're like, why did you spoil it for us? I'm like, because I thought you wouldn't get to see it ever in your life. I was giving you a a gift um <laughs> so yeah I remember that vividly anyway should we, <laughs> should we tell some ghost stories okay so mine is um it's inspired by I was flicking through the available horror films on various TV outlets mm-hmm. and I saw one that always comes up but I never bother watching the um exorcism of Emily Rose have you seen that one no. No. See, I like. I saw it and thought, oh, it's just another one of those possession mm-hmm. films. Like, there's quite a few going. Then I was like, well, it always shows up, so I'll give it a go. And then one thing I realised is it's older than I thought it was. It's like more like early 2000s. Yeah. Another is that Laura Linney's in it. Mm. She's Laura Linney, the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm law. I'm lawyer Laura. Lin- I'm lawyer. I'm saying that ten times. I'm. Lawyer Laura Liddy. <laughs> but, um, so the film itself, like, it's alright. It's not bad, as far as those kind of films go. But, like, it turned, but, like at the start it says, based on the real stories. Yeah. Like, 
all right then who's this emily rose and it turns out she doesn't exist because it's based on a story in germany that happened and they just made it all american because <laughs> they didn't like germans or something i don't know like, i guess to make it more accessible but um the film does take a different perspective to most of these kind of things in that like it like as i said about laura laura Lin- the lawyer mm-hmm. <laughs> um it focuses on like the trial surrounding the events afterwards um and then the actual like supernatural stuff is more in flashbacks yeah and then it's about her investigating like the truth of what really happened to emily rose um but anyway the real story is about a girl called annalisa michelle and why was that not considered a, bang- a bankable name <laughs> um <clears throat> so anyway here we go uh, just a warning this is quite distressing um it I've tried not to make it gruesome but just I think the nature of this kind of thing means it's understandably not all that pleasant if I'm I did the possession of Elizabeth Knapp and I've tried to do a few possession stories and a lot of them read as like a a girl going through a very distressing thing and people say devil yeah not being nice yeah to her about it yeah so it's one of those but quite a notorious one we have to do it yeah <laughs> that's just that's my job yeah that, this is the job I mean, we have made I for will ourselves. say I have listened before to on the Astonishing Legends podcast they did a they covered this really well and I probably do it as well and they go more into like I guess theories and that kind of mm. thing whereas I'm just gonna tell you the story Yes. Um, Speaking. So, start at the beginning. Annalise Michelle was born in 1952 in a small Bavarian town called Klingenberg, which is right in Germany's Catholic heartland, where everyone is super religious, and her family and upbringing were just the same. The family were so traditional that they usually would dedicate one child to a career in the church. Annalise herself actually wanted to grow up to teach like Catholic principles and stuff, um, which... I can't imagine anyone these days being like, I want to teach that. What are Catholic principles? Uh, Shame. Skinner. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That's but, a bad joke. Yeah. I can't think of any. Anyway. <laughs> um, but despite this, Catholics in Germany weren't actually like massively fanatical. Um, like, I guess we all kind of know sort of German stereotypes as rational and so on and so forth and a study in 1974 discovered that only 63% of Catholic theologians in Germany actually believed in the devil which really surprises me because like I thought a key part of Catholicism was that you believed in the devil but I guess not in Germany um, and then that's out of his yeah. remit the devil like exists everywhere else but you couldn't get in there no. um, and two years later when like they asked the public the same question 89% said that they didn't believe in the devil and like that's like including non-catholics as well so it's just like most germans catholic and not even at this time were pretty skeptical people and more recently it's been estimated there are only about three exorcists working in germany nowadays just, yeah like well i just said that my my source said more recently and my source was 
from 2016. So I'm guessing like there could be one or two more now or less. <laughs> Maybe this will be the podcast that people see the gap in the market. Mm. And like they're all uh, working pretty secretly. Like it's not, it's not a, it's, it's not a big trade in Germany. The existing market, but compare it to their next door neighbor France. There are seventy who are openly doing so. It's okay. so, like they've got booming, booming industry in France. The rescue mediums should go there. Yeah. Oh, do they do demons though? I think they're just ghosts. Do you think they've ever done a house where they're like, oh, turn, um, sorry, we couldn't do it. Turns out it's just a demon. Yeah. And then they leave. <laughs> like, oh, okay, thank you. So anyway, now, here's a picture of the whole family. Oh, very German. Yeah. So the environment she grew up in was, like, fairly rational, and they didn't, like, they weren't sort of going around every day, like, warning of, like, the devil will come and, like, get you for doing, like, not doing your laundry or something. And other than their origin, she had a normal childhood. Her parents, Anna and Joseph, were strict but protective. Anna said of her daughter, she liked life, she sang willfully, she was an intelligent girl. I don't really know what singing has to do with anything. Um, and it seems her classmates thought that the same. She was like, just quiet and happy and flourishing. Oh. Um, that all you listeners can see right through the microphone, I know. <laughs> You're so, Googling along. Yeah. In September 1968, around the time of her 16th birthday, she lost consciousness at school, and then in the evening after midnight, she woke up paralysed, lost control of her bladder, had trouble breathing, and her tongue felt sore. It went away as quickly as it came, but she was left understandably terrified. Mm. This episode was soon forgotten, and nothing happened again until August of the next year. She blacked out again, and then paralysis later in the evening. The next morning, her mum took her to the doctor, who then referred her to a neurologist called Dr. Luthi. She was given an EEG, which is like the, all the wires on your head, mm. um, to uh, measure her brain activity, but it showed up as normal, so the doctor d- didn't give her anything, even though he believed that she was probably having seizures caused by grand mal epilepsy. But well, I guess because even though, I'm guessing you can have that, but then you're maybe your brain only shows stuff when you're actually having the seizure so if you're not then you wouldn't know I'm not sure oh I do know that yes Yeah. Um, recently a friend had a weird brain thing and got checked and yeah I learned that you can only see a seizure on the brain when yeah. it's happening uh, Yeah. so the, nothing was prescribed at the time um, but even like before she started having these seizures she had extremely poor health all her life before she was five, she had mumps, measles, and scarlet fever. And her kin- kindergarten teacher told her parents to keep her home a year longer um, than all the other children because she was so delicate. So not long after her visit to this neurologist, she had to have her tonsils taken out due to a bad sore throat. And then after that, she contracted pneumonia that was then complicated by a tuberculosis infection. <laughs> and, and then she got so ill, she was just in bed for months at a time. I don't know why I laughed then. <laughs> just not good it's, luck. It's just like escalation of just dreadful. Yeah. Um, so this went on for months and months, and now it's like February 1970. So they admitted her to a clinic in Mittelberg, wherever that is, that specialised in treating young people with lung diseases. The clinic soon also diagnosed her with heart and circulatory problems. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the whole set. Yeah. <laughs> If you're going to have something wrong, yeah. have all of it. Relatable. 
Um, June that year, she had her third episode and visited a different neurologist who gave her another EEG. This time actually showed a series of irregularities. And the documentary I watched was like saying all about like delta and theta waves and I was like, yeah. Just, she's given off a whole bunch of waves. <laughs> um, that, so they led her to finally being prescribed anticonvulsants. She finally came home in August, but during her stay at Nittleberg, she'd started reporting seeing Fratzen, which is the mm. German term for grimaces. And what's the grimace? Like scary grimaces. Not the purple guy from the no, not, not, <laughs> I mean, it might have been him. I, mean, I can't even do an impression of grimace. I don't know why. Do you have a voice? I just sort of assume he sounds like this, Ronald. Would you like a McNugget? Sorry, the ice cream machine is broken. Uh, anyway. Grimaces. <laughs> yeah. I think Fratzen sounds a bit more scary. Yeah. I think a lot of things sound scary in German. Hmm. Um, later... Later in 1973, she described them to her doctor in more detail as ghastly demonic faces, that whenever she saw them, she felt empty, as if the devil were inside of her. She also experienced smelling foul odours like burning fecal matter. Mm, that's what that's what Walthamstow sounds like, <laughs> smells like today. God, My town smells very bad, and I don't know why. The grimaces? Yep. Her seizures intensified, and so did the grimaces and their accompanying voices that told her she was damned to hell. In spite of this, she mainly managed to continue on her normal life, and even had a loving relationship with her boyfriend, Peter. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No mind. Over the next few years, she saw more doctors and was prescribed more medication for seizures and the resulting psychosis. Psychos- psychosis. <laughs> psychosis, including dilantin, which was used mainly for grand mal epilepsy. So even though this order had been going on for a long time, like at this point, no one thought it was anything but a severe illness that they could treat with medicine. Mm. From March to April 1973, Annalisa started hearing knocking noises in her bedroom in the middle of the night, and no one else in her family could hear them. She was just taken to a doctor once again, and they found her hearing to be normal. The hallucinations and demonic voices got worse during her school exams, which, not surprised really, and also began to struggle, she began to struggle speaking and walking and became severely depressed at times. I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? Mm. I mean, yeah, after going for, like, for all that, like, you just, you can't take it anymore and you, it affects your mental health as well as your physical, like, it's just, that, that, that isn't surprised. Um, not to like belittle it, but uh, just understandable. Yeah, yeah. Um, years later, in 1976, she said to priest Father Renz, "It is a terror which goes through all my limbs and settles there. It is a dread that makes you think you are right there in the middle of hell. You are totally, utterly deserted." Hmm. One night at dinner, her hands swelled up to double their size, and Annalisa cried, "I have black hands, my saviour. Forgive me." She could see evil faces on the walls with seven crowns and seven horns. Um, it was by now that a local member of their church, who the impression I got was it was just like a family friend, who was also a bit of busy with the day, 
and she suggested to her mum Anna the possibility that her daughter might be possessed and this theory was supported by like that like she was on all these medications and they weren't doing anything mm-hmm. after like several years like she first um, collapsed or whatever it was in 68 and it's now 73 mm-hmm. so like not, not much it's, it's just getting worse and worse um, so in autumn of 1973 Annalisa began communicating with a priest called Father Alt who also believed her to be possessed by Satan he had originally approached the case with scepticism and he thought only those who hadn't he thought those who had been baptised like she obviously had been Catholic couldn't actually be touched by the devil so then he actually came visited and was like never mind <laughs> um, the evidence for her possession grew however she became increasingly intolerant of sacred objects like crucifixes and holy water her mum reported one time she stood before a statue of the Virgin Mary and her eyes turned completely black Yeah, I mean, that's the devil sign. Um, two years later, in 1975, her grandmother, who she was complete, she was extremely close to, passed away, and her sister Barbara moved away um, from home for her career. And Annalisa was a very sensitive girl at this point, and she was unable to cope with this sort of emotional... What's the word? Turmoil, I suppose. Mm. Um, back at... Well, if I ain't turmoil, I don't know what it is. Um, so, back in 1974, she told Father Alt, I cannot cope with reality. Same. <laughs> but, I mean, she's clearly not doing well. Clearly she's having a worse time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still, I relate. Um, so, is this year that the senior priest and exorcist Father Renz stepped in? On his first visit, she was repeatedly thrown by some great force to the floor each time getting up under her knees and reciting the Hail Mary in response. She'd been thrown to the ground so much that she eventually took to sleeping on the floor for the next few years. At this point, even Dr. Luthi suggested to the family to maybe consult a Jesuit, since possession was looking more likely. Though it is important to note that at this point in time, there was still a lot unknown about epilepsy. Like, it's only the mm. mid-70s. It hadn't even invented the MRI scanner yet. Which is like the main like diagnosis tool for brain scan these days. Also, I I always find it interesting how the term hallucination is used. Most people use it just for like visual. Yeah, but it's also but audio. Like, yeah, you can like. You're just hearing voices. That's a hallucination. Yeah, and they like it's like legitimately real voices. Yeah, it's not like it's like you are hearing it. It's not like if it was on a TV show, you'd hear this like distant echoey yeah. like. Like, yeah, people like they literally hear people talking to them. Yeah, like it must be t- absolutely terrifying. Like, yeah, people you know who have disorders and things that cause that. Mm. It's just isn't worth thinking about. Like, um, so yeah, like they hadn't developed MRI scanners yet to get a full picture of the brain when she when she was diagnosed, and then also the doc. It, my source mentioned like there is a drug resist- resistant dr- strain of epilepsy uh-huh. um, that about is about 20 to 40 percent of cases so like she could have just been one of these those who has that particular strain mm. but the I don't actually know if they knew that at the time I'm guessing probably not um, so 
To see whether she was really possessed, the two priests, Alton Renz, held a trial exorcism, which I've noticed in, I think, some things I had before, they used to have a pre-exorcism to the... A warm-up exorcism. Yeah, yeah I've noticed in <laughs> some of the ones I've done before, they've done that. Um, you don't want to get an exorcism stitch. No. <laughs> they sat next to her at... They sat next to her and mentally said, depart from her, say who you are. Something like that they mean they said it in their heads, so they just sat there quietly, hmm. sort of staring intently or something. Annalisa went into a frenzy and grabbed her neck, destroying her rosary, and that deeply concerned the holy men, who believed only the most powerful demons can destroy holy objects. Hmm. I mean, no offence, but a rosary is Unless it literally just Unless, like, dematerialized. Yeah, like, they did say destroy and not broke, so maybe like she crushed it or something. Yeah, maybe bit, she crushed the beads. Yeah. This was the proof they needed, and they wrote to the Bishop of Wurzburg to approve a proper exorcism. Once received, they had permission to enact the Roman ritual of 1614. Oh. Which is like the, uh, the manual for you know, the standard practice of exorcisms. So Sunday, 3rd of August, 1975, was her first exorcism. <coughs> first, it doesn't um, very well. No. <laughs> um, it's important to mention that even though they took a spiritual approach, and that is now, they never took her off her medication until not long before she died. Spoiler yeah. alert, she dies. <laughs> oh. As you may have guessed. Yep. Um, without any prompting, as soon as the exorcism began, the demons spoke through Annalise, in deep guttural voices. The priests weren't prepared for the demons to show themselves so quickly, and like that doesn't usually happen, I think. You usually have to like coax them a bit. And they could barely understand what she was saying, as it was so unusual to happen so fast. So they recorded what happened on tape for the bishop. Annalise herself wanted the tape made public so people around the world would know that it was real. And I can play some audio now. Okay, so this is like a snippet of m- many tapes that um, they got from her exorcisms um, it's all in German so I don't know what she's saying well I do because my video has subtitles but um, you don't unless yeah, you're German unless you're German you will not know what she's saying but you, you'll get the idea of the experience let's turn this on Have you seen the old black and white La Belle et la Bette? I have not. Beauty and the Beast. No. That's what the Beast sounds like. Oh, God. He's like, ah, bonjour. It does sound a bit like my dog when you used to grow <laughs> <laughs> It's horrible. It ticks all of my spook buttons yeah. because it... I, I listened to that last night. <laughs> oh, no. I, I am. Um... Then I was also eating Monster Munch, so I kind of ruined it by own crunching. Oh, no. Wouldn't Monster Munch add to the horror? <laughs> <laughs> um. I yeah my 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 spooky film of choice Ghost Watch has stuff like that yeah it really it sounds a lot like him also you did the Enfield yes it's that kind of guttural unnatural for someone yeah it's it's the thing that you can uh you can't recreate 
because it's like painful yeah, and like especially like if he's a woman like I couldn't imagine making that kind of I mean I could try but I don't think it would it wouldn't be the same it'd be hard to do to maintain it just yeah. without laughing yeah or like um you need a drink yeah it's it's, it's like that sounds it is like, like a a trance a kind of mm. it's very horrible so continuing on the six demons presented themselves through her voice the six demons of scooby-doo <laughs> no um they they called themselves lucifer judas nero cain hitler and Fleischmann, who apparently was a disgraced 16th century Frankish priest. When was this? Seven, what the session? Yeah, seventies. Okay. Um, I was thinking. I was just thinking because, like, Germany has like obviously a lot of stuff to deal with and their relationship with Hitler and things like that. But like, um, reading seventies, that would have still been. Very oh yeah, no. I think it would. I'm saying I think that the Fleischmann guy would. You would know him. I guess they probably knew him because of their Catholicism. Yeah, but like they—they, they, I mean, they have rules about like laws about yeah the way they talk about yeah. them, and like that's a bad bunch. Yeah. Um. Interestingly, or not, dorks. <laughs> well, when Hit- Hitler in inverted quotation marks was speaking, he actually spoke with the Austrian inflections yeah. that he would have had, which is like, how would a random girl? Attention to detail. Bavaria, mm. Like, I don't know, I think that's a sort of effort to pretend mm. if you are pretending. Because um, well, I was just, I mean, I don't know what it was like, but I know that a lot of like Nazi imagery and stuff, it like, I could turn on the TV now and find Hitler yeah. talking because yeah. it it's on all the time on history channels yeah. and stuff. And I think that's much less in Germany. Yeah, yeah. And so. The idea that this girl would have watched enough of that to, you know, pre YouTube when yeah. she's going to see this yeah, exactly. to get the accent right and things. I wonder what Lucifer's German accent's like. <laughs> they didn't mention that. Yeah. Um, and he also began the sea kale. Yep, that's what he does. Yeah. Lucifer said, I want to conquer the earth for myself. Um, just because those, like, as we discussed, just because those are the names chosen. Doesn't mean that those demons were those actual yes. diggers. Like demon experts think that demons could have just like chosen those identities that would have caused most fear to the people in the surrounding. Hitler's a weird one. <laughs> My hot take. Yeah. It's I, I just think it's interesting how scared people are of the idea of Hitler yeah. when it was because of the things I could probably beat him in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my belief. I could beat him in a fight, but um, yeah, no, you wouldn't want them in your house, no. especially all together. Not in your daughter. No. Um, um, so yeah, being like seventies Germany, the presence of Hitler is pretty convincing. Yeah. Like uh, argument. So the de- demon, the demon's horrific effect on Annalise continued. She spoke in tongues, would attack members of her family with superhuman strength for days, which is like, when you remember how I said she, all those illnesses she had, like yes, physically. Yes, she was very delicate. Yeah, and... like, how is she doing that? Um, she barked like a dog, bit the head off a, off a dead bird, Ooh. ate spiders and drank her own urine. 
She could see the demons dancing in mockery around the priests. She was left covered in bruises from being constantly thrown about the walls. She looked permanently emaciated, but she gorged herself on food. Furniture moved around the house all on its own. As you probably guessed by me saying earlier, but her first exorcism, they kept trying. Mm-hmm. Um, often resulting in them having to tie her down into her chair by the end. Uh, during her brief periods of lucidity, she planned her future with her boyfriend Peter. Oh, he's still around. Yeah, he's still. He's, a, he's obviously a good guy. He's still yeah. around after that. Um, they wanted to get married once it was over, hoping that either the medication or the spiritual help would cure her. One day, they were walking in the woods together when Annalisa walked off on her own in a trance. Annalisa later said that the Virgin Mary had been walking beside her, and she told her that it pains my heart that so many souls are going to hell. Someone needs to do penance. Would you like to do penance for the souls so that they do not enter hell? Mary gave her three days to decide what to do, and during this time, Annalisa said she felt much better than she had been for a long time. Relieved of her possession, she considered what to do. Annalisa decided to accept the proposal, despite her mother trying to dissuade her. She said that during her vision, it was said Mary would return to expel the demons on 31st October if she chose not to accept it, but by then it was too late, her mind was made up. Um, so basically, Mary wanted her to take to keep the demons to save everyone else. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, she had decided she would become a vessel for mankind's sins instead. Um, also, here is a picture of how she was basically looking. I've seen that it's quite, photo. It's quite a famous photo. Yeah. Um, the listeners, you can just yeah, this is a emaciated girl who is the shadow of like the yeah. earlier photographs. Um, she's clearly very ill. Um, like her mouth is all sore and she has shadows around her eyes. Um, Annalisa decided to accept the proposal. Oh, that's what I'm <laughs> Sorry, blah blah blah. Um, so, on this day, the 31st of October, the priests noticed that the demons seemed unusually calm, and so decided once again to try an exorcism. It's Halloween, they're busy. Yeah. They managed to get the demons to cry out in agony. They called upon the Virgin Mary, and Annalisa released an agonising scream. One by one, the demons agreed to leave her. Afterwards, she spoke in her normal voice. I'm completely free now. Completely free. It's so wonderful. Completely free. Hmm. The end. No. Yeah. No, no, that's not it. Um, so this was actually short-lived. In a few minutes, all her demons returned. <laughs> short-lived? I thought you meant, like, next year? <laughs> in a few minutes? No, no, no. In a few minutes. Um, they all came back. They, they wanted to go, but they couldn't leave. They were trapped. So Mary had obviously kept them there, trapped, mm. apparently. Um, every day afterwards, the demons actually complained how they wanted to go, but had been bound to Annalisa. They screamed, we want to go out. Um, when she was briefly lucid again, Annalisa said how she was suffering in great pain. Father Alton, 1976, then sought help from a friend, Dr. Roth, asking him to prescribe medication to soothe her pain, but the doctor was hesitant, he said. I can't give medication to a possessed person, so I don't know how it might affect them. There is no injection against the devil. He examined her anyway, and he noticed she had a stigmata on her legs, and they later spread to her hands. She was constantly looked after and well-fed, eating immense amounts of food and drinking up to two litres of juice in one sitting. 
but regardless, she began to physically decay. She became extremely pale and emaciated, and although the year before she had done so as well for a short period of time and recovered, this time she didn't. At the beginning of 1976, she claimed that something would change in July. She was right. On the 1st of July, age only 23, Annalisa Michelle passed away. By this point, she'd been through 67 exorcisms, some of which went on for about four hours. 42 of these are on tape. Her official cause of death was starvation, weighing only 30 kilograms. The autopsy also found she had broken knees due to continual genuflections. Afterwards, the finger of blame was pointed at the two priests and her parents, accused of negligent homicide, and they were found guilty in 1978. They were given six months suspended prison sentences and three years probation. The trial itself, though, was a bit of a mess and leaves everything in kind of up in the air. Like, it does seem it could have been not them. Hmm. Um, although the defence did submit the tapes as evidence, the court never took them seriously, and a key witness to the prosecution's testimony, Professor Sachs, was all over the place, with an inaccurate and incomplete chronology of events and numerous mistakes in his analysis of her medical history and the tapes. Also, her, her epilepsy diagnosis was called into question. The pathologists who carried out her post-mortem found her brain had been perfectly healthy and undamaged. Not even microscopically could they see the damage that would have caused epilepsy or been caused by it. She also didn't have the typical bed sores or serrations on the skin that usually come with starvation. However, this and her strangely dilated pupils weren't mentioned in the court at all. A likely theory for why this is, is that Eastern Germany was still under control by the atheist Soviet Union at the time, and they would have wanted to discredit the Catholic Church. The trial could have been engineered by the state to erase any potential credible evidence of demonic possession for this reason. Even the judge openly ridiculed the priests, asking Alt, I assume, Father, you are not married, are you? This whole time, none of the family or those involved gained any profit or gain from sharing Annalisa's story, not even from the film, which her mother refused to see. All they gained from these events was deep trauma. Mm. So that is the, the tragic story of Annalisa Michelle. That is very, very sad. I'd like to thank my source, Paranormal Scholar, on YouTube. That was very thorough. Um, do you think the? Do you think they watched like all the forty-three recorded? What the documentary? No, do you think the oh, um, the court the court had to watch every single one? Um, well, they were just like audio tapes. But, okay. Um, I don't know. I think there was some funny, funny business. I I think probably not. I, it sounds like they didn't. But well, they didn't, they weren't taken seriously, and and all seems pretty rigged yeah. against the church. Um, I think. Why must the Catholic Church always be oppressed and marginalised in our world and not the giant organisation it deserves to be? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> thank you very much. That was a legitimate big boo. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a lot of mini boos. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was long. No, it's fine. Um, boo diddlies. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, a pick and mix. Yeah. A, um, so, last time I talked about New Orleans, mm. New Orleans, and uh, when I came back from New Orleans, I had about eight hours at home, and then I got back 
uh, on the train to the airport and went to Estonia. Um, again, for work. Uh, last year I did some comic teaching in Latvia. Yeah, are they next door? They are next door. They uh, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia make up the Baltic states. Ah. Um, we have a little bit of an... That side of the eastern of the Berlin Wall yeah. slash demonic uh, theme this ah. week. Um, so I looked up a bunch of Estonian ghost stories. Um, so I was staying in uh, Tallinn, the capital, a very tiny, tiny, tiny town, um, very medieval, um, lots of cobblestones, and nice. it is very pretty. Um, it's I, I, everyone told me. So I went I, last year. I went to uh, Latvia, went to Riga. And everyone told me that was a really, really small place. But um, it was fine. It was big yeah. enough. I, I, I could walk around it, but I didn't see all of it. Um, but Tallinn is like a street. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a bit bigger than that. But it has a very distinct medieval feeling. Yeah. Um, it has these big, it has this big like city wall. Yeah. Which is obviously spread out of. But um, I was using that to navigate a lot. Yeah. Um, also a very good Pokemon Go destination because <laughs> uh, every street has like five um, yeah. little Pokestops and I had a great time it's a good way to see a city um, yes I need to get one of the, I need to get more anyway blah blah blah, blah. Um, I did like I like the museum of horror a museum of death yeah. in New Orleans I went to a creepy museum there mm. I went to a, a puppet museum um, wow. which wasn't actually about to start the person running the puppet museum was hilarious she loved puppets well I mean you'd hope so yes um, humans less a fan uh, when it started um she kept saying how many of us there were, but like they took the booking for like thirty tu- students to be uh, walked around, and um, she said, "When we go into the rooms, please balance the rooms. Imagine that uh, be in absolute silence, and find your space in the room so that the whole room is balanced like, like, out." Yeah, and then she just so every room we went to on the tour. Everyone was stood at strange angles, in silence, dotted about, and she just walked between us. She at one point said, um, <laughs> "The Soviets took away our puppets because they do not understand dreams." <laughs> <laughs> um, she uh, wow. uh, on the on this thing was also the head of Nobrow. And me and him kept on looking at each other like we were each other's camera in the office. <laughs> just weird things she said. Um, at one point, we went to this room and uh, there was a screen and like a hundred buttons. <laughs> and she'd press a button and the screen would turn to some Eastern European puppet show from the 70s or wow. a use of puppets and something. Um, and. Uh, I couldn't always hear what she was saying, but she was like putting them on and showing us puppets, and it was all very weird and how you expect. And then she put on a performance of Greece in Estonian, uh, the language, yeah. um, and with no explanation. And she, not 
like we were watching waiting to see the puppet <laughs> but there wasn't we just watched like all of um I don't know. Um, it was really enjoyable. And then she taught us, like, the rules of puppets. She, um... Don't feed them after midnight. It's a little bit like that. The first thing she said, the first thing, when you are handed a puppet, the first thing you must consider are its lungs. <laughs> she said, like, you. she was basically saying... You need to, like, make them breathe. And she took a book off of one of us and then, like, made the book breathe. And said, look, a book. And then she made it breathe. And she went, puppet. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to turn us all into puppets. It was very surreal and enjoyable. She sounds very goosebumpsy. And when I left, like, I was um, staying next to a place called De Old House, uh, which is a medieval-themed restaurant where people wear, like cod pieces and ruffs oh, wow. and have sword fights in the middle of your meal I would have they're, gone they're like medieval times isn't they? I don't know. yeah um, renaissance fairs yeah. I would have gone but the idea of medieval food doesn't sound very appealing and I was like this nice Italian restaurant next door so I just yeah. went there yeah. um, what else oh and uh, next to the, the old house were some more people dressed in like medieval clothes handing out flyers for a torture museum oh nice and I was like, okay, I've seen death, I've yeah. seen puppets, torture sounds good. Um, but then I like Googled it, and it is a room with like, which looks like an office conference room, and in the middle is like a recreation of what a stretcher looks like. Really? And that's about it. And wow. it has like one star reviews, and it's, it would cost like 30 euros. And oh my god. It was a scam. Have you been to the clink here? No. It's like a crystal museum and it's like quite good in a kind of hammy way. I love the name. Yeah. The clink. Yeah, it's by... I call it the locky box. Yeah. <laughs> I can't where it is now, but I think it's sort of near Borough, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm. Anyway, apart from catching a few ghastlies, uh, I had a ghost-free time. I didn't actually mention, in New Orleans, um, when I walked into my hotel room... It was ghost. I got an overwhelming sense of like dread oh. and just like I don't like this at all. I've never had that in my life. I had like a proper I understand that feeling now. Yeah. It's like, oh I'm not I don't want to sleep in here. And I couldn't explain it and I just had to like push through and drown out but just I have an overactive imagination anyway and I'm always yeah. imagining like scary faces yeah. like are going to be there when I turn the corner and they're yeah. not. But I was like it was, it was. I think it was because it was just big. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I got a big hotel room. Uh, in Tallinn, I didn't have a very ghostly time, um, but I decided to look up some stories, as as I am to do, and they are wild. <laughs> um, the a lot of them are less ghost stories and more like demonic folklorey things. That's always fun. That's fun. Um, but the website I was reading visit Tallinn <laughs> told me that um, Estonians consider these factual oh. so um, like a time in Estonia yes so the horror of the stable tower um, many towers in the city wall also serve as uh, used to serve as um, prison towers one such tower is the stable tower facing Tumpei now there's going to be a lot of words I yeah. don't know how to say. Um, once upon a time, 
<laughs> this is the kind of fact yeah. we're going. There's no dates here. Um, a young man was imprisoned in the tower after being dishonest uh, in the matters of love. It's a bit extreme. This is from visitthailand.com. It says he cheated on a girl. Uh, he cheated a girl out of a diary. Sorry. He cheated a girl out of a dowry. That bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Vi- fair enough. That was important back then. Visit Talon. Um, his family paid quite handsomely to have the boy's imprisonment be as comfortable as possible. He was given food and wine, a warm bed, and even entertainment. Which in medieval times, I don't know what that meant, but probably entertainment. People coming to entertain him. Still, the boy complained and begged to be taken to any other room in the jail. To calm the ma- uh, young man down, a servant was sent to uh, stay in the same room to be company. Um, but that night, the servant ran out screaming from the tower. Next, his mother came to see what was going on. She, too, spent one night and then ran out in fear. Um, none of them could say what they, what they felt or experienced. One sceptical prison guard decided he would expose the myth and slept in the same cell himself. He was removed from the prison the next morning in a catatonic state and died a few days later. And no one knows what they saw. After that, the father spent a lot of gold to get the son moved to another jail. Um, And it is known as the unspeakable horror of the stable tower. And there's no information about what it was. Um... Don't worry, I've 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 chosen these in an order that gets oh, gets weirder. <laughs> so um, this whole town has a lot of towers, but there's one called Saint Olaf's Tower um, attached to a church. Um, it, it is tradition that it must be the tallest building on Tallinn skyline. Huh. Um, it is 123 meters high, um, but when it was built, was even taller because. In, six, in the 16th century, during one of the rebuilding of the church, um, they wanted to, the tower to be high, so they had to find a builder mad enough to do it. Um, obviously, this was pre nanobots that yeah. do all our building for us now. <laughs> do you know something about it? <laughs> no. Um, however, the city was very short on money as well. All the contracts to the city made sure that you would only get paid when it was finished. Um, so lots of builders took up the challenge uh, but oh the misfortune um, first one uh, uh, first one then a second one then a third one and then seven builders all fell from the tower to their death um, and soon no one was willing to complete the tower they said it was cursed however along came a man from outside town named Olaf <laughs> Uh, and he promised to finish the tower. All he asked was for a thousand pieces of gold. No. Just, just, all I asked. Thunder is starting. Ooh. This is... This Revival is, of Olaf. Yes. Um, it was all the money that the city had left. Um, but t- it says Talon had no choice but to accept the bargain. Like, you don't need to build the tower. You already got one. Yeah. Just, you don't want to make it bigger. Um and Olaf started to build. He did all the most dangerous work himself and built the spire as high as it was asked. Only one thing was missing, the golden rooster from the top of the tower. Olaf himself climbed up 
under the eyes of the crowd gathered to see him finish his work. As the final nail hammered in, Olaf slipped and fell off the tower. He landed amongst the people, and everyone claims to have seen a snake and toad crawl out of his mouth. Everyone called it the devil's work. Truly, the Tower of St. Olaf is quite misfortunate, and it has been struck by lightning so many times that it has now been burnt down to its current size. Um, They said it was the devil's work. I like to think that a snake and a toad had a plan <laughs> to climb in a man suit and build a church. Like that bit in a Men in Black. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, the town has a interesting history, like a lot of uh, the Baltic states. They have an in- they have a relationship. Yeah. They have a relationship with Russia mm-hmm. and uh, being occupied. Um, there is a house called uh, Pajari One. They put all of their uh, house numbers at the end of yeah. the street name. Yeah. So it just sound they sound very interesting. Um, this is a house that's now a nice set of apartments, um, but people don't like to stay there. It was used by the KGB as their headquarters in Tallinn. Um, many people are said to have been tortured in the basements. Um, or shot in the courtyard during the war um, and it was often the last place people went to before being sent to Siberian prison camps um, when entering from the main door during the Soviet times people would joke why is the doorknob worn down on the other side but not on the inside um, it's because many more go in than they come out blah 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 um, that apparently that's described as great Estonian humour by Visit Tallinn.com. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> um, that, that's funny. Also, one thing about the Visit Tallinn website is that every single one of these ghost stories is like named with its. It's all about places yeah. you can visit, not about like general legends. Yeah. It's all about this town with this yeah. this house with this gift shop. <laughs> um, uh, so another joke people used to say about the house was it has the best view of the city why from the basement you can see right into Siberia (laughs) Um, it has been said so it is now in a a nice block of apartments but many people complained of hauntings screamings and general unpleasant feelings otherings otherings um the short leg gate tower and its surrounding houses um, have a very persistent ghost. People have witnessed huge bloody faces appear Man. on the walls. Um, life-size ships sailing through the house. And most commonly, a dark monk-like figure, sometimes bloody, and uh, praying with a glowing cross on the wall. Oh. Um, the monk can be quite violent if he wants. He, he breaks and hides things, but also hits the living. <laughs> An artist living here, uh, living there in 1970s, said that the monk would come to him at night and pull his toes and <laughs> kick him in the ribs. Like a pest. <laughs> Typical monk behavior. Yeah. Um, the ghost is said to be of a monk named Ju- uh, Justinius. Um, and truth be told, he wasn't an actual monk. Um, he was a novice set on becoming a monk 
uh, wanting to be a monk, but was killed in 1233 um, before he could repent his sins. His sins were quite numerous because he was an executioner, (laughs) um, which was a job most disrespected and feared in medieval society. So, I know, I thought it was a bit mean. I think it should be very respected Mm. of the time. Um, But wait, there's more. (laughs) Um, So, there's a house called Tumkuli 13. Once the home of a wealthy, the wealthy von Uxkul family, uh, this Uxkul family, it is the strangest word I've ever seen, (laughs) Um, by the Urkel family. Um, Clones. (laughs) This this handsome manor um, on the short cobbled streets of Tumkuli is currently the Canadian embassy. This house is haunted by two ghosts. The Grey Lady and the Black Lady. They are both thought to have been Estonian girls that had the rotten luck of uh, catching the attention of the Uxkill family men. The Grey Lady was the maid in the house. Um, she caught the attention of the Lord of the manor and was forced to become his lover. Um, big quotation marks there. Um, soon he grew tired of her um, and walled her into the basement. Um, the ghost is said to have worn down fingernails um, and uh, yes (laughs) apparently she tries to strangle men in their sleep and has a manic laugh oh that sounds terrifying yes um, the black lady was a girl from the countryside she fell in love with the lord's son um, and they were going to be married um but she had to meet the family first. Fair enough. Um, she was brought to Tallinn, um, and the family was very upset and unhappy uh, because I think she was a peasant girl. Um, she should be unhappy. Like, they locked women in their walls. Yeah, I wonder if she could hear her. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. They prepared the wedding, and everything seemed to be going fine until one morning the bride went missing. The groom looked far and wide, but never found her. Um, guess where she was? Walled. Walled into the basement. Um, she is said to be wearing a black wedding dress. Very goth. I know. Good aesthetic. I hope that um, Grey Lady and Black Lady became friends. Yeah. And... At least they had company. Yeah. Now, things are about to get a little devilish. Um, not all the ghosts are tied down to one place unfortunately, for uh, visitthailand.com. <laughs> there is a knight in shining armour who rides um, between uh, Las Nagmaji and the ocean. I know that place. <laughs> Heard of it. Um, ocean. Yes, I wonder if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, the horse is white and the knight is said to be always very polished and reflective. Um, and he likes to stop passers-by. He offers to sell them skins. Of what? Well, they smelled very bad. Most people are not uh, don't really want to buy the skins off this knight um, and move on. But if people do inquire, the knight answers that they are human skins um, that he took off the back of his enemies. Um, 
photo now, but I don't see anything for that video about toilets or skin. What? <laughs> I've not seen that video. And it's of like some toy someone found in a charity shop. And it's like broken, so it just sounds, all it can say is, in this really creepy voice, skin. I've <laughs> <laughs> like, not seen that. Skin. It's like skins. No thanks. Um, he also shows them the clothes, boots, and saddles and equipment of all the people he's killed. Um, people usually run away. However, one time a man asked what price. The knight said he only wants peace um, and for the skins to be taken off of his, taken off of his back. Um, So imagine that in an Estonian accent. Skins. Anyway, thanks for interrupting the mood of my story. One man asked for how much the skins were, and uh, the knight just said, Skins. Skins. The knight said that all he wants is peace and quiet and for the skins to be taken away from him. Um, Yeah. The man was very happy to hear this, um, and he took all the skins. Um, now this sentence is very copy pasted the man was very happy to hear this he took the horse for skins and led everyone straight to hell (laughs) (laughs) Um, the man buying uh, the man buying the stuff of the knight was said to be the devil that's why I wanted the skins it's just a weird story. I'm like, who told this? <laughs> um, who was there to recount it? Um, like watching in the bushes. The devil said that there was a group of men in hell waiting to get their skins back. Um, and that they were cold. <laughs> um, so most nights, uh, the night... Uh, it gets very garbled and confusing. This feels very Google translated. Um, it is said that uh, the knight still roams trying to sell the skins of those that have died. And the devil took them. Occasionally the devil, some more. the devil finds them. And, but let's move on. The, I, I, I will... I'm questioning the, the accuracy of this story. <laughs> yeah. I think it really happened. Okay, like, how do you think about this? This is the last story. Okay. And someone actually witnessed this. So, this is the most famous story in the whole town. It is called The Fake Window of Ratatouille 16. When you say Ratatouille. (laughs) From now on, I will refer to it as Ratatouille, if it's mentioned again. So, a long time ago, uh, the owner of this particular house fell on hard times. Things were looking bad until a stranger came to him with an offer. Please allow me to host a party in the upper left room of this house, and in return, there will be a bag of gold. Legit? The man. <laughs> just, there's so much gold no. being exchanged here. Also, there's lots of cars going past our house, but please forgive us. We need the windows open because it is warm. We will have an on air death. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> um, if you on air died, I'd still keep it a secret and like still upload this in a few weeks really, really <laughs> like, oh and there's a surprise if you keep listening um, <laughs> um, so the owner was more than happy to oblige 
uh, no one um, would even go up the stairs while the guests were there. He was like, you have the room to yourself, do whatever you want. Um, so the guests arrived, um, all looking very well dressed. Um, in fact, more guests went up to the room than could the room could fit, and he got a little concerned. Um, as the party upstairs progressed, the owner got curious of the commotion and snuck up to see what was happening. He looked through the keyhole and saw a wedding in full swing. But his hair turned white with fright. What? I always had to pronounce the H. Because everyone at the party had hooves. Oh. And horns. And the beautifully the beautiful bride was accompanied by no other than skin buying devil himself. <laughs> um yes, he saw a red man Ooh. with horns being married. I'm kinda of pleased for him. Um the owner ran down the stairs and hid the whole rest of the night. When morning came, um he went back up to the room and found it completely abandoned. Um uh, he he also found his bag of gold um, but when he picked it up it turned to dung no, um, no money for him it says <laughs> um, ever since then the devil has a habit of using that room whenever he wants um, and so it is never rented out to anyone else you might end up with a bag of poo yeah I mean that's like that's just a prank. I know, that's a simple I always think of the devil as some supreme darkness, but... Sometimes he just wants to laugh. So yeah, I bet he knocks on people's doors and then runs away. Yeah. He does it to Jesus all the time. Mm. Anyway, that's some ghost stories yeah. of Tarlin. It's weird. They like the devil. I enjoyed those. They're weird. I should do some more Eastern block. I should look up some Latvian stories. Yeah. Um, but we've definitely gone on, we've gone on quite a while. It's a lengthy one. Yeah, so we'll call it a day. Yeah. Or a night. Evening. Um, I have been and continue to be Hamish Steele, and I'm Hamish Steele on Twitter and what. And whatnot. And whatnot. I am Tiffany Baxter. And I am something online. <laughs> we are the Poltercast online. We're also thepoltercast at gmail.com if you want to send in any of your spooky tales. Uh, local folklore yeah. stories in your family or things which your grandfather told you um, people that your family hidden walls <laughs> yes if you've ever been hidden a wall yeah. maybe you're listening to this from a wall yeah. maybe, you, like... maybe you were in a wall but you still get wifi so you're just mm. like hmm, listen to some podcasts yeah. um, thank you for choosing this as your podcast of choice as yeah. you starve to death um, I'd like to thank Graham Waller for the music which is great. Yes. Beautiful. And uh, until next time, I guess. Rest in peace. Ooh.